This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? How we doing? Welcome to the first ever episode 22 of the Best Seats Podcast. I am your host, Crawford McCarthy. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing the music. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or any of her family's three restaurants here in Orange County. Let's jump right into it. This is, once again, your one-stop shop for all the news bits that you need to know about. And on this show, as always, bringing you some of the best people from the hospitality world in Southern California and beyond this week, I got a super special guest, uh, somebody who is just an awesome human being all around. I'm really excited to have him on, Ryan Autry of Garrison Brothers, a Texas whiskey that is super delicious, as you're going to hear. He was nice enough to actually drop off a bottle, so I am sipping on it, actually, when we recorded this, and it was super, super delicious. You should definitely grab a bottle, and he will tell you all the places to do so. I wanted to get Ryan on the show because it's one thing to talk to chefs and bartenders who are on the quote unquote kind of front lines of hospitality feeling the effects of COVID-19. Uh, we recorded this just about the end of July, so still in the throes of a global pandemic, unfortunately. Uh, but it's obviously a trickle down effect. It affects producers, farmers, you know, every, everywhere, you know, people who produce plates, cutlery. Every, a lot of people are affected by what's happening to bars and restaurants. Ryan is no different. Uh, when you walk in and you look at the back bar and you're trying to figure out what you want to imbibe on, you know, seeing those products back there, he's one of the reasons that that happens specifically for Garrison brothers, you know, as I mentioned, the Texas whiskey, but it's, it's not easy for anybody right now during all of this. Um, you know, especially when you're trying to introduce people to a new product on the market and a new product in general, for some people, whiskey is kind of a hotly debated topic. People are fiercely loyal, um, and fiercely kind of knowledgeable whether they actually are knowledgeable or not is another argument but whiskey is definitely a big 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 market so talking with him about what it's like to kind of be that brand representative what it's like during COVID-19 how he's been staying busy it's all really really good um, it's a super fun episode he's one of just about the nicest human beings around um, responsible before this for helping to build blind pig into what it is and just a really great guy so as always be sure to go to thebestseats.com for more information just like this but in the meantime Let's dive right into it with Ryan Autry of Garrison Brothers. Yo. Yo, what's going on, brother? Oh, nothing much, man. Just a uh, usual Friday grind. <laughs> I hear you. Thanks for taking the time away from the grind to uh, sit down and chat. Of course, man. Of course. You having a great day so far? Yeah, so far I got you know two three drams of your whiskey in front of me. Um, on that, so yeah, I mean it's it's really you know it's only uphill maybe downhill depending on your point of view from here. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good so far. Uh, Ryan, I've been looking forward to getting you on the show for a while. You're somebody I wanted to get on the show, specifically somebody with your line of work. Currently, I wanted to get on the show. Um, I'm trying to keep the show split between kind of the bar side of things and the kitchen side of things, but obviously somebody who gets the product to the bar. I think especially during everything that's going on, kind of definitely is going to have a very interesting approach and kind of view on things. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with you or your background, would you just kind of mind introducing yourself real quick? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my name is Ryan Autry. I work with uh, Garrison Brothers Distillery based out of high Texas in the hill country, about an hour west from Austin. Uh, came on board about a year ago as their West Coast brand ambassador and uh, greater Orange County uh, representative. Uh, and now I'll be taking over the whole West Coast on-prem when it opens back up, uh, starting at the back half of the year. Um, come from the hospitality industry, worked in the hotels and restaurants and bars for the last 15 years, uh, most recently of the Blind Pig in Santa Margarita as their general manager and beverage director. Uh, loved running that program, wouldn't have the job I have today without them, and uh you know, big shout out to them and to, you know, the, the past ones. Playground really started my career off really great. 
uh, in the service industry with understanding, you know, incredible food and drink and what it could be to people. Um, yeah, just uh, loved it. And uh, here I am now, slinging bourbon. It's not a bad transition to get to. I mean, ultimately, no. it's it's not the worst. I mean, maybe it's a bad time to have the job, but it's a pretty good job to have. It, it, it really is. <laughs> I want to talk about kind of what it's like to be a brand rep and, and kind of what on-premise sales mean for the people that are listening that may not be familiar with how a product finds its way to a back bar. But first, I'd want, I want to dive into Garrison Bros proper. Can you give us like a little bit of kind of company background, when it was started, and then kind of walk us through the process of the whiskey? Because it's, first of all, Absolutely. a delicious whiskey. And I should be fully transparent for anybody listening. Ryan was nice enough to drop off a bottle. I would have been happy to buy one, but he was kind enough to drop one off. So I'm absolutely going to drink it. I mean, the only way you can really talk about Texas bourbon is if you're drinking it while uh, while you're talking about it. So um, Garrison Brothers is a wonderful, wonderful distillery, uh, completely independent family owned, uh, started in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, our proprietor, Dan Garrison, was a financier and um, marketing guy, big, big guy, big wig in, in Texas and a little bit in New York. Um, he developed the trading platform for a little-known company called Enron. And uh, for those who are familiar with that, uh, when that tanked, it took him with him. So in his words, he did what every good Texan husband and father should do. He abandoned his family and got drunk on the bourbon trail in Kentucky for about three months. <laughs> so that's, that was it. That, those are his words, not my own. And uh, I don't know if he, I can fully blame him if Enron is what took him down. <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know what? Yeah, he might have earned that one. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, he was a homebrewer at the time, uh, you know, a passionate bourbon drinker. And uh, while he was out in Kentucky, he started asking all the questions, went on all the tours, probably a dozen times plus. And uh, he actually was able to befriend a gentleman by the name of Elmer T. Lee and uh, started a great relationship, great friendship with him where he's, gosh, I love this. I wish I could make this in Texas. And Elmer turns around and says, well, you can. You can make it anywhere in the country as long as it's made in the U.S. And uh, so... He sent Dan a pack-in with a, an experimental still uh, called the Copper Cowgirl, which he used to develop uh, Blanton single barrel. Uh, rumor has it he actually won it in the horse betting race from uh, the Russell's family, from Jimmy Russell. Um, so really great heritage right off the bat. And Dan got to work. Uh, he started developing a really, really wonderful recipe that he uh, derived from Panhandle food grade white corn, soft winter, rate, soft winter red wheat, and uh, barley. Um and he wanted to keep it 100% Texas authentic. So if you ever come across any Texans, they're incredibly proud of their state. So all of our grain is locally sourced from farmers in the Texas area. Uh, our water comes from right underneath us. When we go into uh, proofings to fill the bottles, we proof down with rain-caught water on the ranch. Uh, and that's how it started. That was the beginning of Garrison Brothers. And for us, we really wanted to kind of accentuate the uh, understanding of the way they old, they did it back in the old days. We never sourced a drop, never will. Um, we were gonna, if we're gonna slap our names on it. We were said it's gonna be our juice. So uh, they did the hurry up and wait game, laid a whole bunch of juice down, and walked away. Um, it, most stories end like that with a great. All right, four years later, we we were good to go. But that didn't happen for us. Uh, within the first year, we laid juice down. Uh, we lost everything because it's so damn hot in Texas. So the barrel they were using in Kentucky, we tried in Texas in the hill country. Uh, they exploded. So oh imagine in the last first eight months, you've laid down hundreds of barrels of whiskey and you think you're off to a good start. And then you walk into the Rick house and the barrels are exploded and all the bourbons on the ground. That's, I can't that's even imagine. the, uh, yeah. Uh, I can imagine uh, a really wonderful smell of whiskey with a, a faint hint of uh, salty tears. Yep. That's probably what I could imagine Dan and Charlie were experiencing. But uh, instead of feeling defeated, he went down the road to a lot of different uh, wineries and vineyards in Texas and asked them, hey, how are you guys able to age your wine in barrels in Texas? Because it's too damn hot out here. Uh, and found out a way that we could do it. So we now use custom-made barrels that are double the thickness of staves at an inch and a quarter, and focusing more on 30-gallon as opposed to the 53-gallon because they're a little bit sturdier. They can handle the pressure that's building inside of that barrel. So we've, we've just kind of just stuck to that, and over the years, we've just gotten better and better and better at making whiskey. And uh, here we are now, um, the first whiskey distillery in Texas, and the first one to be producing a bourbon, 100% grain to glass, outside of Kentucky. The wonderful juice. 
I, I don't know if there's any product in the spirits world, rum maybe, but as far as it goes in the States, that everyone is an expert on, but they're an expert that knows nothing about anything. And I would say that's probably whiskey here in the States. The arguments Absolutely. between like, what is whiskey? What isn't? Where can it be made? What's, you know, even the, you know, the standard arguments between rye and things like that. So you mentioned that it is a Texas whiskey through and through. Can you just yes, kind sir. of elaborate on that development process a little bit more? Like how has that been introducing that to a market that is arguably filled with some pretty stubborn people? Absolutely. Yeah. For a long time, everyone's believed uh, the notion that all bourbon comes from Kentucky. And uh, that's uh, a complete no, complete misunderstanding of a marketing campaign that happened uh, early on where it was the best bourbon comes from Kentucky. And then that evolved into all bourbon comes from Kentucky. Um, really what happened is when Lyndon B. Johnson was in office, he wrote into effect that bourbon is the spirit of America and thus it could be made anywhere in the States, as long as it adheres to a certain guideline. Uh, whiskey in general, it's my favorite spirit. I, I'm a big whiskey fan. I love it. Scotch, uh, single malts, uh, bourbons, rye, uh, Japanese whiskey. I love the entire family of whiskey. Um, but what the Scots did that I really loved that I think America is now just starting starting to embrace is uh, they, ex they really embraced terroir, they embraced uh, regionality, they embraced differentiation, um, they developed a style of whiskey that highlights different regions of their entire country. Thus, the entire country makes delicious single malts, whether it's an Isla or a Campbelltown or a Speyside or a Highland. Uh, in the U.S., it became very you know capitalistic-driven. How can we monopolize a product? And so you've got some whiskey makers that you want to put Tennessee whiskey on your label, you need to follow these really, really strict guidelines. And one of them being it has to come from Tennessee. Um, bourbon, similar story. Uh, the big thing with bourbon, though, is that it's the most policed spirit in the world. But we're now just coming to light that it can be made in a lot more different areas outside of Kentucky. So uh, for those who are, are not sure, how, what, what do you need to do to make bourbon? It needs to be made from at least 51% corn or more needs to be aged in brand new American oak barrels every single time. So one, one use, no second shot. Uh, it needs to be, uh, it needs to contain zero additives. So hundred percent genuine. Uh, and then there's some proofing laws. You can't distill past 140 and you can't go into barrel above 124. Um, and then it just needs to be made within the U S. So it's really, really been fun to watch that. And what happened when we went to Texas, is we started making a bourbon thinking we could, you know, mimic or see, make something that's very similar to that of Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky bourbon is delightful. I love Kentucky bourbon. When we got into Texas, we found that we actually get a hyper-aging process because of the heat, because of the climate, because of our really high-ranging hot summers to a freezing, frigid, cold winters. Uh, we would be able to extract these flavors and these deep, deep amino acids and fatty acids that are... Uh, dormant in the staves that you can't get into in cooler climates. So with Texas, you now you're getting a newer style flavor. If you're tasting right now, uh, you can probably taste, we have this velvety body to us. We have this big butterscotch and this big uh, caramel and uh, a little bit of vanilla. But then on the back and mid palate, you've got a ton of oak. You've got a lot of spice. You've got some cinnamon and red hot. And that's all barrel extraction. Uh, it's so fun listening to people say, man, is there, is there any rye in your mash time? And we say, no, no, there's no rye. That's just all barrel extraction. And that's all thanks to the Texas climate. So you mentioned kind of the hyper acceleration that you get when you put them into barrel. I know that this happens with some rums yeah. too. You know, most bourbon people, th you know, my, my ideal personally, I love between kind of that 12 year, I think is when you hit kind of that nice, really, really sippable kind of style. But this yeah. drinks just like that. And it, has all those flavors that you mentioned. But again, I'm imagining that you guys are not sitting in the barrels in the Texas heat for as that long to require those kind of flavors to be, like finally be expressed. Exactly. Exactly. So our bourbon right now, what you're drinking is uh, at lowest a four year bourbon in Texas. And it sounds young, but it drinks like a big brooding beast of a whiskey. I, uh, we've sent off our samples to labs before to get them analyzed. Like what, what does this look like on the broad market and the four year Texas whiskey is equivalent to about a 12 to 10 or 10 to 12 year bourbon from Kentucky or even bigger, a 20 year old single malt scotch. <clears throat> and a lot of that has to do with our angel share, uh, our surface ratio. So for whiskey to age, 
you want a really good uh, surface ratio of liquid to, to barrel. And with us, we lose about 14% annually. So by year four, those barrels are already half empty. You can imagine the pressure that's built into that half empty barrel is pushing the distillate into the staves and it's penetrating really, really deep. And then when it gets cold, those staves, those staves compress and push out an intense amount of flavor. Um, it's something that we are thankful for. It's kind of bittersweet sometimes because you, we've had barrels, I'm not kidding, that have lasted about six or seven years sometimes. We'll dump them out, two bottles. Jeez, two nice. bottles at an higher barrel. And that usually comes out, uh, that's what we call our cowboy bourbon. That comes out about 137, 138 proof. But it drinks like what you said, a, a 151 Demerara rum, something really big and bold and, and like hot and sweet, but then yeah. it dissipates off your palate and it's like spiced and clean and, and it, it doesn't hurt to drink. It's, it's wild, wild what the, the Texas heat can do to our bourbon. That doesn't make sense that it should be so easy to drink at that proof because I hear that and I'm like, oh good, I'll save money on gas this month. But that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love it. I think it's a great, great product. I, as, as a liquor rep, because I want to jump into what it's been like the past you know three or four months. We're recording this end of July, um, depending on when you're listening to this. Obviously, fearful of a second shutdown, but obviously still in the throes of you know COVID nineteen and everything. But before we talk about what it's like to do your job during a pandemic, what is the job of kind of a brand representative like? Because obviously, it hasn't been around that long. People like Simon Ford were kind of the first ones back in the day to jump it and kind of really initiate those relationships by going and talking to bartenders and things like that. But for those that may go to a back bar, they look at it, they don't know how that product gets there. What is kind of your standard non-coronavirus day-to-day like? Absolutely. So for, for our non, you know, non-COVID, non-quarantine world, what that would look like is, you know, every week we, we have a, a hit list and account list. There's so many wonderful bars and restaurants and hotels and, and these, these, liquor stores and uh, even big box retail uh, that all need a little love they all need some 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 amount of face time and so um, you know every week we, we get on a big phone call uh, with the company and uh, we go over what we're looking at you know where which markets we need to focus on um, where we're going to do our territory runs and from there it starts off in right here on my computer starts off with emails, text messages, getting appointments, you know, just getting some screen time, some FaceTime. Um, it became my hobby, my weekend hobby when I was running the restaurant at Flying Pig became my job. Um, for me, whenever I had a day off, my, my passion and my, my day-to-day was, you know what, I want to go find a new restaurant. I want to go find, you know, the new great dish or, you know, this great cocktail bar and, you know, explore an adventure. And now I, I get paid to do it. So it's, it's pretty win-win for me. It's not a bad gig. So, uh, so what happens from there is, you know, we work with our distribution team to find out, you know, who's buying, who's looking for new products. And then it's a lot education based. Um, we had a lot of people, we entered into the California market in 2015 and, uh, we hit some bars and we hit some back bars and we hit some, some retail but people didn't really know about the juice in the bottle. They didn't know the history. And this is the, what I love about the alcohol industry as a whole. It's not really a means to ends to me. It's history. It's culture in a bottle. Yeah. And anytime you sit down and you start drinking to hear those stories about how it came to be, uh, to understand the flavor profiles, to see where it's going, to drink different expressions. Um, it's, it's such a fun time to sit. And that's my, my day-to-day job now is, I will go to, uh, let's just pick, you know, Costa Mesa, for instance. I'll go up to Costa Mesa and I'll probably hit about 10 to 12 different restaurants or bars or hotels and, you know, meet the buyer, make the introductions, uh, you know, drop a card, drop, drop a, a data sheet of, of our expressions and then revisit and follow up. And a lot of it is, uh, I guess, in the sales terms, a cold call nature. Um, but it's a lot easier to cold call when you're saying, hey, I just want to pour you some whiskey. So. Uh, that's that's kind of like the main day to day. But the biggest thing we were doing prior to uh, lockdown that we haven't been able to do now is events. Uh, we would do tastings. Uh, we would do. Um, I would do a lot of guest bartending stints that I really loved loved being able to do. Um, we would do whiskey dinners. We would be out and out and about in January. We're out in Palm Desert uh, for the PGA West Golf Tournament and uh, just soaking surrounds. 
get in front of uh, the, com- the community, get in front of the consumer, introduce them to the brand, um, just get them excited. You know, at the end of the day, we, we are uh, educators, not, not order takers. Mm-hmm. So they can place the order. That's great. But if we place the order and it sits on the back bar, that doesn't work. So that's where I come in with, I'll go to these hotels, I'll do staff trainings, I'll do full-on um, educationals, like what I've been doing at the bars when I was working with customers or guests that would come in and sit. Like, oh man, you got to try this, you got to try this. Now it's just more uh, focused on one expression instead of beer, wine, and liquor. What's it been like since the lockdown with bars obviously closed, restaurants kind of doing what they can? I'm assuming obviously budgets, you know, if people don't even have the budget for a full staff, they're not really going to be placing kind of new orders and things like that. They're going to be burning through what they have. So what's life been like for you since kind of March 16th? Absolutely. So once this all happened and and it's kind of been like a moving target, that's the best way I can describe um, working for a whiskey company through this is, We'll plan and we'll prepare and then we'll shift and we'll plan and repair and shift. If I hear the word pivot again, I'm going to have to drink half a bottle. (laughs) I was waiting to see if you were going to say it, to be quite honest, because that has been, it's like that and normal have been the like cloud words of 2020 so far. So (laughs) is he going to say it? I don't know. No, I, I, I started saying it. And at that point I just said, this this needs to come off the dream board for 2020. And uh, we just need to, substitute it with shift or evolve or or you know make change, anything but uh i hear pivot one more time i swear um but for us in this so you know with with events and mass gatherings you know uh being completely out of the picture we have to get creative and one of the biggest ways we've gotten creative is virtual tasting um we've been able to work with local whiskey clubs and societies and, and even, you know, nationally whiskey, whiskey clubs and societies where we get together, we get, you know, an email chain or an Instagram, you know, DM uh, chain or something. And we figure out, Hey, let's do a whiskey training or let's do a virtual tasting with your club, figure out how that goes, portion it out into, you know, one ounce samplers, get about 25 to 30 people on the biggest one I've done was I think 60 um, and then they distribute it out to their whiskey members and then we all jump on zoom and talk for the next couple hours about the, the brand the history the educational and then we just do a flight through it we start with our small batch we go to our single barrel we go to our barrel proof single barrel and then sometimes we'll go to our uh, our award-winning ones the Balmeray which is a double barrel oak for the cowboy which is our big heavy hitter of a cast train coming in 138 proof and it's been magnificent. It's been such a wonderful way to shift and get creative on how to stay engaged in the market, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, the other area that I've really excelled at because I just loved it is cocktail classes. Everyone's a home bartender now. Yeah. And uh, being a home bartender, I've come across a lot of people that they're just like, so just Coca-Cola and, and bourbon? What are we talking here? And <laughs> Now it's like, well, hey, you got a shaker tin? Sweet. You got some honey in your cabinet? Awesome. You got some lemons? Perfect. We're going to make a gold rush. Let's talk about a whiskey sour variant that's got that like light, sweet note, nice sour, and then it highlights the oakiness of the bourbon. Um, so virtual. There's a lot of virtual stuff. And then since a lot of restaurants and bars are closed down, it's maintained for me to just get out and check in on how people are doing, maintain those relationships, whether it be jumping over to orange, seeing Greg over at Haven saying hi, or, you know, Tim at chapter one, or even I go up to uh, some golf courses up in the Habra that are still operating on the to go life and seeing how we can support and partner while we're enduring through this, this season. It is, it's one of the things, again, like everybody, I've had free time, been listening to podcasts, um, you know, things like Bartender at Large, people like that. And that's kind of been the overarching theme is that it's not so much about keeping contact for the sake of future business, which obviously you still want to do because you want to keep these accounts ultimately, but it is because the industry is so small. It's really more just checking in on people. Um, I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece for Artisan Spirits magazine and I talked to a couple other uh, brands representatives and that's what they all said. It's a universal agreement that this is just about checking in to see how folks are doing. How can we help? Not how can we sell, but what can we do for you to make your life a little easier during all this? Is it hard exactly. being in the position that you are now kind of being on the other side of the bar for all those years that you kind of help build blind pig into what it is? And I should mention off the bat, if you haven't been to blind pig, go. 
because I think it's one of the most underrated spots in Orange County. Uh, that is, they are amazing. They're doing a great job. They, they opened a second location in York Linda that is just taking off. And uh, the RSM location down here in South County is just, it's become just a neighborhood hangout and a staple for the community. Yeah, I absolutely adore it. Your tiki and tacos nights were some of the best. Uh, that, that made the drive back from Rancho a little harder sometimes. You're like, oh, wait, stop, stop and get a Red Bull. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but is it, I mean, is there some kind of like bittersweetness being on the other side of the bar now, like having to touch those accounts and some accounts that may not be there in six, seven months? Oh, absolutely. It is. It's kind of heartbreaking every day when we hear of the spot shutting down, um, especially the iconic ones. Uh, when I, when I heard milk and honey shutting down, I was, I was devastated. I was really, really saddened because that was on my list. It's a bar I never got to go to. And it was at the top of my, I must visit this place before I die list. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of one of these seasons that from the ashes will rise the next round of uh, craft bars and restaurants that I'm really excited to see come to fruition. And hopefully uh, a lot of them are from the same people that have had to shutter or close down that are now getting the opportunity to, to do something new and do something different and say, all right, well, I did Italian for 20 years. How about I try my hand at, uh, at some barbecue? So uh, it, it's been a really interesting navigation of these keys uh the biggest like you said you know right now i i care less if anyone bought my bourbon in the restaurants and hotels because i'd rather them save up their money man keep their budgets uh reallocate that out bring back their staff you know be have the ability to pay these bartenders and these servers and these hospitality workers and these professionals that you know don't have any work right now. Uh, make that the focus, and we'll be back. We'll be here. We'll be here after after this is all uh, passed and, and gone, and hopefully we can restart that conversation later. Um, I will say thank God for retail because y'all are drinking at home like like crazy, and it's helping us stay active and stay busy and stay afloat and you know keeping the market. Um, so the relationships that I have and that I've been able to build. Uh, they're not just, uh, I guess you could say uh, supplier and buyer anymore. I, they're friends. These are all my friends and I would rather just make sure that they're doing well and, and staying busy and staying mentally healthy, uh, through this entire pandemic and opposed to stress about, you know, how many cases can you bring in or, you know, Hey, can I get a placement here? If not, we'll, we'll hang out later. Let's just, let's just enjoy the ride and, and, you know, stay home and, uh, stay healthy through it all. But uh, as far as the other side of the bar, I probably have made more cocktails at home in my, in the last three or four months than I ever have in the last 15 years of working in the industry. Uh, I went from, I never would make a drink at home because I was exhausted and tired. And I just made 300 the night of, uh, at the bar to, yeah, why not? I want to create something. I might not even drink it. Who knows? I'm just in a creative mood. So uh, to say it, I miss it is is an understatement. If you're like me, during a quarantine, you probably got pretty familiar with your food service delivery drivers. But third-party companies can put a big financial strain on restaurants that are already taking a hit under a pandemic. That's why I was excited to learn about what Chef Debbie Lee is doing with her pop-up, Soul Town Supper. When you put in any type of order at $50 or more over at mindbodyfork.com, you can get free delivery of any of her amazing Korean pub grub. It's fantastic food that'll keep your heart happy while sitting at home. Using the discount code BESTSEATS10, that's B-E-S-T-C-E-A-T-S and the number 10, you can get 10% off your first order. Orders have to be submitted by Wednesdays at 5 p.m. and the delivery will be at your doorstep when you wake up Friday morning. As Chef Deb will pack everything with insulated bags, reheating instructions, and more, and drop it on your doorstep between midnight and 6 a.m. So you can start your weekend right with delicious Korean pub fare. I've had it. I love it. I support it. You can go to mindbodyfork.com to learn more information and place an order for yourself. Again, using the discount code BESTSEATS10. Enjoy. Your statement. It is funny. I mean, I've been making, and again, I, I've never worked the bar proper. I very much am kind of like industry adjacent being on the media side of things, but I've been whipping up a ton more at home. I know people that have been like DMing me for recipes. I'm pointing them towards other directions. The amount of bartenders that are doing live Instagrams every day, breaking stuff down. 
it is, it, it's a little heartwarming in that aspect to see people, you know, see what books are trending on Amazon. You know, I don't know if Cocktail Codex has ever sold more, more copies in its lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But, you know, during all of this, it is kind of weird to look around and see the state of the industry on your side of things, specifically from the craft standpoint, because you mentioned that retail is booming and it is. But what about being on the craft side as opposed to like being under, you know, one of those constellation brands or something like that? Is there that fear that people may not be because your greatest sales weapon is the bartender ultimately, because they're helping to educate the customer on your behalf. You know, if you can get an old fashioned made with this on somebody's menu, that's a huge upsell. Losing that kind of lack of that third party salesmanship. Is there any fear kind of from like, where do you think that the craft industry stands during all of this? Uh, exactly. I, I, there was an article written, um, a year or two ago and, uh, really, really amazing man runs incredible bar programs, uh, in the UK. And he pulled a ton of stuff off the shelf because they just became big brands, you know, just a part of the machine. And, uh, his statement rings true to me. So he's like, uh, he says bars build brands and not the other way around. Brands don't build bars anymore. That was a big thing, uh, through the seventies, through the nineties. And now we're on the other side of it where it's, no, you're going to trust your bartenders. You're going to trust the person in front of you says, man, I got to introduce you to this new, new bourbon. I got to introduce you to this new tequila. Hey, you've never had a good tiki drink. I'm going to make you a damn good one. Um, so the state of craft is healthy, even through quarantine, I believe. Uh, now you've got a lot of people that are trying their hand at cocktails at home and trying to find it. And I strongly believe that after, uh, the quarantines are lifted and the pandemic has, has gotten under control and we can go out, we are going to learn how vital to our culture and to our world and to our nation the hospitality industry is. The restaurants, the bars, the people that smile every time you walk in, the ones that know you by name when you sit down at the bar and ask you if you want the usual. These are the times that I miss the most. Uh, these are the things that I cannot wait to get, to get back to. Um, for us as a brand, you know, we rely on our bartenders to help educate and to help, you know, bring us out into the market and say, Hey, there's a new, new bourbon on the shelf that you need to try. Um, I'm excited for when it happens because it, it's, it makes when I go out to a, a bar or restaurant, the experience all that better. Um, you know, I could easily get a generic whiskey and, and soda water uh, anywhere, but to have somebody passionate and excited about, a, about something, even if it's a, you know what, have you tried the ribeye tonight? We have this aged ribeye that's just outstanding. I'm going to get it because I want to know why it's so, so outstanding. Um, it's going to be so fun to get back to this. And I know a lot of people are at home tinkering. A lot of bartenders are tinkering with recipes and developing recipes and they're putting on Instagram and heck, they're coming out of their, the back of their trunks and uh, more power to them. Just keep busy. Uh, when we come out of this, I think we're going to get flooded with a lot of creativity in the industry. See, that makes me happy to hear because you mentioned, you know, we're losing some cocktail kind of staples, things like milk and honey. Um, you know, I know Aubrey Sanders shut down hers up in New York and New York and kind of I know London has taken some hits too. Um, and it worries you a little bit because cocktails have evolved so much over the past 10 years, especially, but probably 15 years ago, it really started. And there's that kind of fear that if the small independent restaurants and, you know, bars close down, are you stuck with those just kind of commercial engines that are just kind of those, you know, the exact same back bar, you can tell exactly who's going to be there and whose portfolio they've purchased into. So it's reassuring to hear that there's some positivity out of this because it is true. A lot of bartenders who are home are going above and beyond creativity wise. Um, and I think it's purely just because that creative mind is so restless. So that's a, that's inspiring to hear what kind of, it's incredible. Are you now the the Scarface rule, you know, you don't, don't dip into your own product. Do you feel obligated when you do go out to always, (laughs) is it always Garrison for you now from now on? Uh, I, I, I still, uh, I don't want to get you in trouble with your employer. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I still, what's funny is I, I drink whiskey. I was drinking whiskey predominantly even prior to uh, jumping on with Garrison Brothers. But my other uh, love in the spirits world is rum. I love rum. Mm-hmm. I love aged rum. I love good rums. I love mixing of rums. Um, you know, it, it's one of the most underrated spirits in the world, in my belief. Completely. Uh, because agree. it's been 
it's kind of been bastardized. It's become this idea of sugary, fruity, uh, very um, non-authentic, artificial, uh, sweet stuff that people steer away from. But if you have a really good aged rum. We're specifically talking about you, Malibu. (laughs) That's exactly why I hold responsible. (laughs) Uh, I, I didn't want to name that, but yes, yeah, no, I don't, I don't need, uh, some suntan lotion in my room. <laughs> I need oak. I need vanilla. I need, uh, you know, these different flavors and spice characteristics that are similar akin to whiskey, um, when you're sipping on a good sipping rum, but they also are so layered in flavors when you're making cocktails, the, the rise of Tiki. Uh, I think Tiki has been misinterpreted in a large way as, take some really high octane alcohol and cover it up with uh, fruit juices and sweet syrups. Yeah, I agree. And my favorite, my favorite tiki is the dry, not sweet, lots of sour, and then nuances from these rums that highlight, um, this, this <clears throat> incredible bottle. Uh, that's one thing that, you know, Jeffrey Morgenthaler, I was on a call with him a few, uh, couple months ago, uh, for Orange County Bartenders cabinet. And we got a lot of people asking and like, Oh, what, what things are you doing right now? Like what creative, like what's the craziest ingredient you're using? And his answer was so incredible. like, man, I would rather spend five years focused on perfecting my daiquiri than coming up with a hundred crazy creative cocktails. And that resonated with me. That was a, wow, that's really cool to understand. This guy's looking at this, this rum, and this classic, simple three-ingredient cocktail and saying, what is the perfect ratio? What is the perfect, perfect ratio of sour to sweet to strong? Um, it's how I've approached cocktails for a long time and uh, even more now. Uh, simplicity is completely underrated in cocktail programs. So, yeah, I do drink the own product. You know, luckily, uh, I'm one of the few, if not only, craft bartenders within the Garrison Brothers team. So I'm getting calls from Texas now saying, hey, you got any recipes that I could pitch to a, a restaurant out here in, in Dallas or Austin? And I guess I have to do a ton of R&D at the house. So to say I've drank a little bit of the, the, my own product <laughs> would be an understatement. The daiquiri might be one of the most maligned cocktails, in my opinion, ever. I think it's such a great drink. I knew that you were a tiki guy based on what you did with Blind Pig. Like I said, the the Taco and Tiki Tuesdays were, I think, some, still one of the best events in Orange County. Um, rum and whiskey, I, I'm really glad you went on this tangent because I was hoping to steer it this way. Rum and whiskey do share so many similarities in certain ways, like the drinkability. And once you get into the agricoles and things like that, those different ways that they hit your palates. Whiskey is kind of not really seen in Tiki that much. But I think that Tiki is especially taking off right now too. I think people are getting away from kind of the, you know, appropriation, like what, you know, Don Ho, stuff like that. Um, And I think they're really starting to look into regionality and what does it actually mean to do a Tiki type of drink. Is there a place for whiskey in the Tiki cocktail world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, My, the one thing I love about whiskey or about Tiki the most, and it is so appropriate for the current climate of the world. Tiki and the whole, if you were to, if you were to break it down to one word, and this is generally agreed upon in the whole Tiki culture, escapism. That is the heart of Tiki is escapism. And right now with, you know, we, not to be uh, completely naive or, or ignorant of the climate that we're living in, there's a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes in, in the world and in life, we need a little bit of escapism mm-hmm. you know, to reset, re, readjust and replug ourselves in. And so what better than, than Tiki and this uh, opportunity to get away and just, you know, de-stress and relax um, with Tiki and whiskey. It's a, it's a beautiful marriage. Uh, the definition for Tiki is, as far as drink goes is uh, a blend or a mixture of alcohols, tropical fruit juices, that's really it. It's the wild, wild west of cocktails. Uh, whereas there's a lot of different cocktail families for Tiki. It's like, how many ingredients can we get into this punch bowl? And it still tastes good, which now looks at is like, all right, balance. This is how can you balance in 10 or 11 ingredient cocktail and also be able to whip it out 150 times in one night. Uh, the guys at Smuggler's Cove are wild, wild men who, and women who uh, can just 
batch out and sling cocktails quicker than everyone I've seen. Um, same with Walsh Idol down in San Diego. Uh, for whiskey, whiskey really enters into it because, they, like you said, whiskey and rum, good aged rum and good aged whiskeys, they're friends. They play and intermingle really, really well. It's a great marriage. Uh, I actually came up with a cocktail um, through quarantine that I've made probably four or five too many times now. Uh, <laughs> hibiscus, hibiscus infused uh, Garrison Brothers, Little Plantation OFTD, touch of allspice ram. A touch of bitters, pineapple, lime, and then uh, an enriched uh, coffee syrup that I make. And I made it for my roommates who <clears throat> doesn't like uh, doesn't like rum. They love whiskey, and they go, "Oh my gosh, this is like the best cocktail I've ever had. This that, is delicious." That sounds unbelievable. Yeah, that sounds it's awesome. So good. All of that sounds it's like it so works good. perfectly. It, it was, it, and I'm happy to say it was a cocktail I came up mid. Uh, midday through a barbecue smoke day that I was doing for a brisket uh, on an offset. And Texas Tiki is something that we were going to push into the market this, this year. We even started looking at some options for, uh, for how we can get into the Tiki world. And it is for sure one of my priorities going into next year is saying, Hey, Texas Tiki needs to be a thing. Get, get with it. Uh, America. I don't know why, but for the fact that you guys mentioned that you're outside of Austin, I just feel like, yeah, Texas Tiki, I just feel like that town would eat that up. That's that's oh, awesome. gosh, yeah. That's absolutely awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, I guess that <laughs> exactly. I guess again, I was going to ask, so what aside from work and aside from trying to stay busy, what else have you been doing to kind of kill the time during all this? I've gotten really good at Minesweeper. Like, <laughs> all right. That's bullshit because no one knows how that game works. There's not a single person alive that knows how that game works. You click nine times and then you lose. Yeah. No, I, uh, uh, through quarantine, you know, we've, we've kind of had to get creative. My house is cleaner than it's ever been. My drawers and cubbies are all organized. So that was weird. And that, that ended real quick. Um, but I actually, when I was in Texas, I would go back a lot uh, for work and for, for meetings, whatnot. And I started getting introduced to real authentic Texas barbecue. I have not tasted good quality barbecue until I tasted the barbecue in Texas. It is on a whole other level of good. And thank God we have some amazing guys down here. Uh, Danny with Heritage Barbecue opening up soon down in San Juan. Yes, indeed. I cannot wait for that to be in our own backyard so that I don't have to fly to Austin uh, every few months to get my fix. Um, but uh, you know what I did is we were home and we decided we're all working from home, but we could probably like, we're already working eight to 10 hours on our computers. Why not cook something for eight to 10 hours? And what started is like a genuine interest. Like we got the masterclass, watched Aaron Franklin, you know, go through an entire 14 hour masterclass of how he does his barbecue getting on the phone with Danny and be like, dude, I think I became a barbecue nerd. What do I do? <laughs> um, you know, we, we started looking at it. It started with, Oh man, I want to, I want barbecue. Let's maybe get one of those triggers. Those are really expensive microwaves. Let's get an offset uh, instead and learn how to maintain a fire and learn how to maintain good, clean smoke. And uh, it, it's become just the nerdiest thing in the world. And to the point where almost every week I'm barbecuing something. I did a uh, I did an episode with Danny a couple episodes ago. I don't know what number it was, and literally after it premiered, I had four or five people texting me going like, "Hey, where do I get more info on barbecuing?" I'm like, "Oh shit!" Well, the, sour, the sourdough trend is over. The brisket brigade has begun. So it exactly exactly, <laughs> and I couldn't be happier. I uh, I not a baker by any means. Um, can appreciate what they're doing with the sourdough loaves, but man, you get you get yourself a nice like. 10 to 12 pound brisket that's just jiggly and juicy and and savory i'll take that over over sourdough loaf any day are you throwing any garrison in when you cook it uh, i have tried some we made ourselves a nice little barbecue sauce at home um with a little bit of apple cider vin um of course you know we we get this uh like organic ketchup from uh trader joe's that works really well as a base if you're ever going to make your own barbecue sauce the one one Big thing that I learned early, try and get something without uh, high fructose corn syrup. The moment you put it on ribs and you let that go, they are going to burn like a mother. So yep. do not get high fructose corn syrup uh, ketchup at all, even just for dipping your fries in. Uh, get that as your base. 
adding some shallot or some garlic, uh, the apple cider vin. We threw in some Garrison Brothers, some onions, some Worcestershire. It was such a really good barbecue sauce. And then we uh, glazed it on top of some ribs and then folded or wrapped it back up for the next few hours. And that definitely won. We threw down a barbecue uh, competition in our own home where we did one rack Memphis style, one rack Kansas City style, one rack uh, Texas style, and Texas they they came out with with a blazing glory of, of goodness. You did Texas style ribs, yes, sir. So you took a state that is known for its brisket, and you did ribs. It's almost kind of sacrilegious. It, it, it sounds <laughs> like it would be correct. Yeah, I was I was blown away by we found a couple of different recipes and just a different approach, and the others were really really good too, but. The way that Texas kind of approaches their meats, it seems, is just simple. They just say, hey, salt, pepper, paprika, done. Here's a ratio, maintain a good heat, and then they get really kind of creative with the sauces, which they always recommend on the side, but they're pretty damn good once you put them on the ribs. Texas, unfortunately, much like California and Florida, has been seeing a spike in cases recently, um, especially at the time when we're recording this episode. Has that affected the distillery at all? Has that affected the ability to make and produce whiskey at all? It definitely, it, we took our, took our lumps where we had to. Um, we joined in with trying to give back as much as possible and starting production of, of hand sanitizer and getting that out into the world, you know, giving the way just however we can mm-hmm. um, just to say, hey, we, we see what you're doing at the, at the hospitals for the healthcare workers. You know, even in the streets with our with our um, with our accounts, we just saw that they were hard at work. We wanted to make sure that they were, uh, you know, be, being able to operate and work while still maintaining good um, quarantine, you know, health initiatives. So we just started giving it away. We we made some deliciously smelling uh, hand sanitizer. I would not encourage you to, to drink any of it, but it, it we just started giving as much of it as away. As for you know production and and the ranch as a whole, so we have been able to maintain across the board and shifting to doing to takeout and shifting to you know drive through pickups um, and it's been great. We did a release this last weekend of a new expression called Honeydew that'll be hitting California in September, and it's a honey finished whiskey. We sold twelve hundred bottles in two days. Just from cars pulling up and you know going through the line and taking some some cocktails to go, taking some a bottle to go, and and supporting the distillery and, and getting out of Dodge, uh, we were blown away so much that we had to make a post saying, "Hey, uh, we we might run out, so we're going to slow <laughs> it down a little bit." But we have an incredibly loyal and and large fan base that I'm so thankful for that has kept us running and kept us making some delicious bourbon. And we're, we're looking forward to the years to come to see you know, how things change after this. And hopefully cocktails to go remains uh, permanent because that'll be good. Not only for us as a distillery, but for all the restaurants and, you know, Oh, we have an hour and a half wait. Can I get a cocktail to go? Absolutely. You can. Here's a sealed container. Enjoy it. When you get to your, uh, get to your couch. I love it. That's great, man. Well, I know you mentioned that you're taking over the whole West Coast. Are you guys on the East Coast as well? I know I've got listeners in Florida and upstate and New York and places like that. Where all can people find Garrison Bros? Absolutely. We are. We have a big presence in Florida. We have a, a great presence in New York. Um, an amazing team in Florida that has started up and, and building out. Uh, we are nationally, if you're looking for a bottle, we're national with our all total wines, uh, all BevMo's. You can gladly find us in, in all of those stores. Some grocery. Um, Especially with the Albertsons, Vons, Pavilions, Pavilions, um, with with establishments. Honestly, I don't even know who's going to come out of this, so I don't really know where to put people for restaurants and, and bars as of yet. But keep a look, keep an eye out for it when you're back at those bars. You know, ask for it. Ask the bar. Hey, do you have that great Texas bourbon? Garrison Brothers have been asking, you know, looking for or heard so much about. Uh, we are in a lot of different steakhouses, uh, craft cocktail bars. Um, but yeah, right now we're, we're mainly find found in the, uh, in the grocery and chain and retail industry. That's awesome. If people wanted to follow you on social media and follow Garrison bros, where can they do that at? Absolutely. So at Garrison bros is our uh, social media handle. 
We do have a Garrison Brothers Facebook page. If you go to www.garrisonbros.com, you can find all that information there right now. Uh, additionally, depending on what state you're listening from, uh, you can pick a bottle and have it delivered straight to your door. Uh, with the laxation and uh, direct-to-consumer right now for restaurants and or for distilleries, um, that is now an avenue that we're, we're happy to be a part of. Uh, for me, at Autry Graham, you guys can find me on uh, social media there. I'm primarily on the on the Gram. I do uh, have a Facebook, but the Gram's what I operate most off of. And yeah, just come watch my shenanigans. It's primarily briskets and bourbons and cocktails, but you know, those aren't bad things to post about every now and then. Hey, these days, that's a holy trinity. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good with that right now. <laughs> well, Ryan, man, thank you so Hello. much for the time, the education and all this. Um, it's it's one thing to kind of talk about how it's affecting chefs and people that are kind of on the front lines of hospitality, but obviously it's a, it's a big chain and it trickles down and affects a lot of people, including brands like yourself. So I appreciate the time and the uh, transparency through it all. Thank you, Crawford. Thank you for what you're doing with Best Beats, man. It's become uh, one of my favorite sources of sources of information through uh, through everything. So thank you for what you're doing. Really, really appreciate it. That means the world, man. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Be well, and I will see you soon. Cheers. Enjoy the bourbon. Will do. Take care. Take care. That was Ryan Outry, Garrison Brothers, Texas Whiskey freaking delicious stuff please go out and get some support them uh they're on the bigger side of kind of the craft world but look every little kind of distillery independent family-owned distillery needs all the support that you can give it and we all know that you're going to drink anyway you're all home because it's COVID 19 again i was sipping on it while recording the episode so i know for a fact you're probably sipping on it while listening to it hopefully not in the car if that's the case pull over get yourself a uber and get yourself home but regardless pick up some Garrison Brothers because it's delicious. Thank you to Ryan for the time. Be sure to check out Blind Pig. Also, I'm not kidding. Uh, one of the more underrated restaurants in Orange County, all the way in the back of Rancho Santa Margarita if you live here in Orange County, but go check it out or the new one in Yorba Linda. They're really great people. They were giving away free meals for kids during the school year. Um, again, they're just really, really awesome human beings and it's a hell of a restaurant that needs to survive this. But go out and get some Garrison Brothers. I hope you really enjoyed what Ryan had to say. Uh, I learned a lot as somebody who at least seems like he knows what he's talking about i learned something new every single day and i especially learned a lot from ryan so thank you to that if you like the episode be sure to leave a review it helps other people find the show go to thebestseats.com for more information bestseats.com patreon the whole nine yards y'all know what to do either way stay safe wear your damn mask i will see you next time for the best seats podcast thanks so much see you soon the best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats it is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, here are the supporters. Alex Cook. Katie Cassie. Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Dahlia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support. 